broadcasted live. Hey, who wants to have some fun? There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this, this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland. Get in You talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone, live. It's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome to another outing. I am your host, Dan Scott. Good to have you with us, as always, as we get things rolling again. Brand new week, brand new show, brand new episode of the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. And boy, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. Tom Van Hoy is going to be with us as per usual. Still hoping to get the entire band back together soon. I know that uh, Dory Kidd-Smith is just about fully recovered from her bout with COVID and well, Cobb Oxford is just doing Cobb Oxford type things, but hopefully he'll be with us in the very near future. Dave Glenn will be with us in the second half of our get together today. And boy, we've got some some big stuff to talk about out of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Tom and I will touch on it in the uh, opening part of the program. But then when Dave gets here, we're going to really get his thoughts and dive deep on this whole Clemson, Florida State thing that took place down in Tallahassee this week. Dabo Sweeney yesterday in his uh, Sunday press conference that he has, teleconference with the uh, Clemson media, well, not basically, he said in his mind Florida State forfeited that game, that there was no reason related to COVID-19 that that game should have been canceled, especially after they had already traveled to Tallahassee and the ACC had signed off on everything and given the blessing for the game to go ahead. So we're going to talk to Dave Glenn about that. We're going to talk about some of the other things going on. Uh, We uh, obviously are doing this show on Monday. The college basketball season opens on Wednesday, so we've got quite a bit of stuff to get into, as you might imagine. A couple of things. First of all, the podcast version of what we're doing is brought to you by my uh, good friend John Todaro and Todaro Pizza, located on Markley Street on the west end of downtown Greenville, just down the block from Floor Field at the west end. And, uh, man, the, I've, I've been dealing uh, with Todaro Pizza both as a customer and a client for, gosh, almost 20 years, as hard as that is to believe, going back to the uh, old days of the old radio show in Clemson and the original location on Sloan Street in downtown Clemson, which Chris Todaro still runs. Uh, the, the, the food is simply outstanding. The pizza, you're, you're not going to find anything like it anywhere in the upstate or beyond. And, and the people are even better. The, the Todaro family, top-notch. They have handled this, uh, this pandemic uh, about as well as it could possibly be handled and uh, are still pumping out great food 
and, and finding ways to interact with their customers. You can find out everything that's going on by going to their website, todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O, todaropizza.com. Uh, they're also on Facebook, Todaro Pizza Greenville. You can find out all the information there, the menu, the operating hours, uh, and everything else that goes along with it. But I thank them for continuing to be a, uh, the chief presenting sponsor of the podcast, and we look forward to uh, getting back over to the restaurant and actually doing one of these bad boys on site. The other thing I'll remind you, as always, if you'd like to uh, drop me a line via email, you can, dan.scott at furman.edu. And uh, from a podcast standpoint, wherever you're getting the podcast, whether it's through our host Podbean or whether it is uh, a uh, iTunes or any of the other podcast platforms, we're on about 150 of them, then uh, you can just leave a comment and we'll get those and we'll interact with you that way. All right, let's go to break. We'll come back. And when we do, Tom Van Hoy joins us and we start diving into the news of the week. Don't go away. Welcome back. We are just getting things cranked up here on this latest edition of the Dan Scott Show slash episode 16 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I am Dan Scott. One of the grumpy guys who is uh, normally with us is here, Tom Van Hoy. And Dave Glenn will be coming up in the second half of our get-together. Mr. Van Horn, how are things over in Greenville? Good. I never thought uh, one of the reference points or um, qualifications to be a uh, on a show was to be grumpy and old, but you know what? Things happen sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, the, the good thing about it, especially in today's world when anybody can, can get a podcast and be on the air, if, yes. if, if I decide that those are the parameters and that's what I'm going to name the podcast, I can make it anything I want. So. You can. <laughs> Hopefully somebody will actually listen to it and watch it. Right? Yeah, you know, two or three people, that's, that's you know, we're not greedy. That's all we're asking for. Yeah, you know, we got to have, I think part of the qualification, you got to have a big family too, right? <laughs> Relatives. Something along those lines. So everything, uh, everything is going well. Your high school football broadcasting has come to an end, and you and I were just talking before uh, – uh, before we started uh, recording the show, that uh, you had seven games scheduled in this COVID nineteen shortened high school football season, you're actually able to get six broadcasts in, right? Yeah, that's pretty good. I think the the high schools that did a really good job, and they're, they're like everybody else, and trying just trying to play to try to get those kids an opportunity, particularly the ones that are in their their senior year. And as, as it turned out. Normally, uh, my 40 out of Asheville, uh, affiliated with WLOS, the ABC affiliate, will do uh, about eight eight or so uh, North Carolina games and then slide over to South Carolina and, and do three or four uh, each year. And it turned out in North Carolina, the high schools, the public high schools anyway, they're going to play in the spring like, like Furman is as well. So they're going to play in the spring, but uh, that left uh, an opportunity to do quite a few games in South Carolina, we did get one game. The private schools in North Carolina could play, so we got one game up there, and then slid over to South Carolina and did, 
you know, a lot of the, the big programs, uh, Norman Spartanburg and, and uh, others, Gaffney up in the upstate and slid down. And really one of the most watched games this year was the, the T.O. Hanna and Westside game that we did earlier this year. So those are the kind of things that, uh, that happened. We didn't know how it'd play out, uh, limited, uh, capacity, obviously for, uh, those that could get in. And it was a kind of an eerie feeling usually with a lot of those high school games, the dormants of the world, there's seven, 8,000 people there and you had, you know, 1500 or so. And, you know, you, they did a great job on one of the games. They had a cancellation and then they, they really scrambled, and, and as you well know, in a television production, it's just like not like you show up and plug in and go. You've got trucks and satellite uh, trucks as well and 25 or people or so to do it, and they were able to get a game over at, at Chapman. And you and I, you know, w- when you begin in this business, it's not at the, at the world's largest level, so sometimes you're wondering about getting some information, and sometimes, and I know you run into this too, where uh, you call a coach and say, hey, can I get your starting lineups? And they would go, why would we want to tell you? Like, we're going to pass it on, you know, and giving us a little bit more credit than we deserve. So we were able to get a game on a late th- a Thursday and, you know, got minimal information and, and people worked hard on, on both schools to get us that information. And you kind of just, you know, give me a roster with the numeric, uh, numeric roster and we're pretty good to go, aren't we? Yeah, just like uh, like we used to do in the the high school football radio broadcast. I mean, we would we would try when we did the game of the week to uh, you know to work ahead in the week and, and contact uh, the athletic directors or coaches at the two schools and see if we could get them to to send us uh, a roster with uh, the starting lineups attached to it early. But how many times did we uh, get out there and uh, it was, um, hey, coach, can you give me the lineup right? You know. 15, 20 minutes before we go on the air. I know. You know, the one thing uh, I should say about all of this is <clears throat> everybody at every school has been fantastic when <clears throat> when we've gone in. they uh, <clears throat> We do a full 30-minute pregame show on site. I mean, you're, going, you're not taping stuff on Wednesday. You go in, they make uh, their student-athletes available, scholar-athletes and, and coaches and principals, and, and really do a – a really good opportunity to preview the, particularly the school, the home school. And I mean, Dan, and you well know the facilities in the upstate of South Carolina. I mean, Spartanburg opened a brand new facility. We want to know what Norman's like. Have you ever seen the weight room at Gaffney? It's incredible what, what uh, opportunities that they do have at these schools and the commitments they've made to being successful in football. So they, they've been good. It's been fun to be able to do it. And, and uh, I think, uh, for the most part, people were happy and the ratings were up. So that's always good in our business, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and that is the um, the unfortunate reality of of where we are right now in COVID with pretty much everything, perhaps except for the NBA when, when it came back. But because of the fans not being allowed in stands or, or not being allowed in the usual numbers in stands, it only figures – that ratings are going to be higher for television and, of course, what we're hoping at Furman uh, for radio as well uh, with our new radio deal with ESPN Upstate set to kick off with our first basketball game on Wednesday, God willing. Um, the, the, the broadcasts at this level especially are, are going to be more important than ever because of the, the lack of of people in the stands, they're just not going to be allowed to be in the stands or in the arenas right now. 
And, and, you know, one of the things that I talked about with our administration at Furman, and, and, and thankfully they agreed with me, you know, there, there, was, there was some initial thought uh, when our radio deal expired back in the spring of, uh, let's just go with tune-in radio. Or let, let's just do something online from a radio standpoint. And I had a, a meeting with our athletic director, and I said, look, I said, especially now in COVID, we need to be finding more ways to reach our fans and not fewer ways to reach our fans. It's going to be more important than ever. And he said, you know, I agree with you. He said, go get us a radio deal. And we ended up signing with ESPN Upstate for for two years, uh, which will kick off on Wednesday, which is huge for Furman. But the bottom line in all this, Tom, is that the broadcasts are more important right now than perhaps they've ever been before, especially at our level. Yeah, we used to always you know, take a look at the schedule. We're going to roll in here. We're going to take off for Richmond and, you know, and be back at 4 a.m. or whatever. But and just because the game was going to be there and the crowds were going to be there. And not that I think we ever uh, took it for granted, but I think it, it gives you pause to look back and say, you know, we maybe appreciate these games and the opportunity to broadcast these games and bring it to people that they can't get there. And you know, it used to be maybe you'd sit around and you go, you know what, I think I might run out and watch that game. Well, now you can't. So, you know, I think in that regard, we, we kind of look at things a little bit differently. And, you know, and Furman's going to have another outstanding basketball uh, team this year. And, and you've been along for the ride. Congrats on uh, year number 10 and and how it's gotten better and how the crowds had grown and Timmons Arena and how tough it is to play there and downtown and everything. So, you kind of put a few of those things on, on hold to a certain extent and hopefully can get back to that at some point. Yeah, I think our initial plan yeah. at Furman is uh, in these early games, we're going to allow 250 people in, in the arena. And, and that's going to be a family of players and what they call 50 invited guests of, of Furman University in a, a, an arena that seats about 2,800. Um, and, and we have several phases that we're hoping to work into you know this would be like phase one or phase two and then and then going up the ladder hopefully as as things turn and start getting better but we do have four games scheduled downtown at the well again and and even in the current situation with the configuration of the well they figure they can get four thousand people in there socially distanced to watch to watch Furman basketball if the the Ticket blocks are distributed the way they hope they'll be distributed. So uh, you know we're going to see what happens. It's again we're I, I say it's uncharted territory in, in a way it is in a way it's not because we've been doing this since March. Um, That's true. But and, and when, when I say I'm jealous of you, uh, I'm I'm only half joking because you've at least been able to broadcast some high school football games. I haven't done a game broadcast since what was it, March twelfth or thirteenth, whatever that yeah. last baseball game was. So, yeah. um, you know, thankfully I've had the podcast and, and the radio show to kind of keep me going a little bit. But you know, I'm ready to call some action, man. Yeah, it's nice to get back. I mean, we like, do, I think we love doing this, like doing this, and have done it for a long time. But there's nothing like, uh, from my standpoint anyway, is going to the arena, going to the stadium, and uh, you and I are on the same page in terms of. Why do you guys get there two, three hours before the game? Well, you know, just, you know, like like to be there, you know, like mm-hmm. to get going and have a few minutes to maybe try to get prepared a little bit, things like that. So it's, it's you know, you know where you're going. 
And, you know, you get to go out to Furman, great facilities there. You get a chance to do the Greenville Drive and not not many better places anywhere at any level, let alone single A, that is the, the replica of Fenway Park. And, and uh, you know, we just, we're just fortunate to be able uh, to do that. And, yeah, all of a sudden, you know, here it was March 12, March 13. It, it, it's all over in terms of that. I think, I don't know how you thought, but maybe a couple weeks, be, you know, maybe a, a month and it'll slide, slide by and, you know, we'll be picking up the drive here before you know it, particularly in June. And, you know, it didn't happen like that. So you kind of take it, you take it day by day and appreciate it. You get an opportunity to broadcast a game. Yeah. And you especially get there that early if you are your own engineer. Well, that's true. Uh, like yes. you are at this level, as, as you and I have uh, experienced many different times over the years. What do you mean? What do you mean it doesn't work, huh? <laughs> or what? What do you mean I need to erect a tent on top of a scissors lift? Yes. Uh, so the bottom line is get it get it on the yeah. air, and people don't care about anything else. I, I, I've mentioned this before, but Tom and I have threatened to write a book about our oh, yeah. Experiences broadcasting at, at what I call this level, and th- this level means it ain't ESPN or it ain't NBC. And uh, we, we've come up with with you know a few different titles and subtitles. One of them uh, is uh, I spent a uh, I spent a month in Statesboro one weekend. <laughs> and then the, oh and, man, and then the and then the subtitle was well was I, I bet Bob Costas never had to do this. That that's true. I mean, there's so many stories, and we could probably spend an entire show. But I remember one time, Pitt State was we were at a playoff game in Kingsville, Texas, in football, and and they'd won the game in dramatic fashion, and we're headed back. The wait, the plane's waiting on us because post games a long time, and you got to take the the uh, the drug test and all that kind of stuff. So we got hung up and turned left, and all of a sudden we're in a yeah. Kingsville, Texas, Thanksgiving Day Parade. And you can't get out. We can't get out of it. And then we're going, hey, we need to get to this plane. And man, I'm telling you, we walked on that plane and there were like about 100 people that were mad at us. But no, those kind of stories happen. And at least they didn't they didn't leave us. And we couldn't find one time in Portland, we couldn't find where we were to take the rental car back and pulled into another another rental car, say it was Avis. And we tossed it and said, hey, can you take this to Hertz? And then we, get, we left and got on the plane to come home from Portland. And we were on the way home going, uh, I wonder if that rental car got back, and if it didn't get back, what's you know those, those type of stories. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 those are the easy ones. Uh, th- this is episode sixteen of Grumpy Old Broadcasters, also the Dan Scott Show here on WZLA in Abbeville, part of the Evening Drive Sports Show family. We're on until five thirty for the radio listening audience, and uh, Lee Collins will be coming up next, talking about some high school football uh, here in the Upstate of South Carolina. Uh, they have advanced, I believe, to this coming weekend will be the Upper State Championships. Yeah. Uh, and Abbeville keeps rolling along here on oh, our, yeah. our home radio station. But uh, uh, you mentioned Daniel High School a little while ago. Yes. For those of us here in in the uh, the Clemson area, they, they have made it to the Upper State Championships. So there there is a little bit of normalcy uh, about, Tom, in this uh, very abnormal year uh, and, and I think that you have to, especially at the high school level, where you don't have the advantages that uh, colleges have, and, and some colleges obviously have significant uh, advantages over others simply because of finances and then obviously what's going on in professional sports. At the high school level, they have little to none of those advantages. And talking about the ability to do multi-day testing during the week and, and, and those type of things. 
what they've done to keep high school sports alive, high school football alive in this area, has really been phenomenal. Yeah, it has. I, I mean, I, once we started, and you know, you hear all the things about at the collegiate level and, you know, the Big Ten or the Pac-12, they're not going to do it because you can't test every day and you're sitting there in the high school levels. You can't afford to it, and probably even uh, at the FCS to a certain extent, uh, you, you can't do it as much as you would like, obviously. So it's on the kids to, uh, you know, look, you, you want to play, then you got to be, you, you need to do this and keep yourself safe. And the other thing is, and I think it was, we did a game at Spartanburg High School this year. Mark Hodge, the head coach, he was at, at, at Chapman, and that Daniel Chapman game was – Daniel goes in and win at Chapman. That, that was an outstanding win for, mm-hmm. for Daniel High School. And he's talking about, the, you know, from – and it depends on where you are and if you have the hybrid learning, if you have the e-learning, or if you're in school. And heck, half of it was you couldn't even go to school, and then you had to do your e-learning at home, and then you had to drive to the school, and then you had to practice. And a lot of times, you know, they weren't getting going till 5 o'clock and getting out of there at 8 o'clock at night. So – there were a lot of commitments made, not only by the players, but also by the parents and the coaches and everybody else. Just, just I mean, I'm pretty surprised that they got as many games in as they did. Well, speaking of testing, let, let's. Uh, we've got about four or five minutes before we have to take a break and, and welcome Dave Glenn in. So to kind of allow you and I to preview a little bit of what we're going to spend some time on with Dave Glenn, and, and that is this whole mess. Uh, surrounding the the Clemson and Florida State game that was supposed to go off on Saturday in Tallahassee. Clemson was in town, apparently had a a player who, after not feeling well during the week and testing negative twice, had a positive test. And um, Florida State decided they didn't want to play the game, even though... The protocols were followed. They had met the ACC protocols. The ACC had said, yes, go ahead and play the game. Florida State decided not to play it. And I don't know if you saw any of the comments from Dabo Sweeney uh, on his uh, Sunday teleconference with the Clemson reporters yesterday, but he was not a happy man. And he flat out said that Florida State was ducking them and that they should have to forfeit that game unless they want to come to Clemson on December the 12th and play. And if not, they should reimburse Clemson for all of its expenses uh, for traveling down there, getting ready to play that game, spending the night, everything they did. Um, Again, we're going to go into it much deeper with Dave Glenn, but what do you make of all this? Well, you know, I think it caught everybody off guard on that on Saturday morning, and, and I, did, I did go back and watch that, and, and it, w- it was interesting to, in terms of uh, all the things that you have to do to even leave and all the testing that goes on during the week, and you take a test on Friday, and normally you get those tests back on Friday night, sometimes on Saturday, and, and you found out that one uh, of your players who, as you mentioned, had tested negative twice uh, uh, previously uh, during the week uh, did test positive and isolated him and and flew him home, I guess, separately as well to get him away from the team. And like they followed everything they thought was right. And um, then when you get together, and I didn't realize that they actually, and Dave will have more on this, the medical folks have to sign off on it, I guess, to a certain extent, uh, the day of the game after all of the tests come back from the previous Friday. And one of them was positive and, you know, 
Florida State medical people didn't feel comfortable with playing the game. And, you know, that I guess that's the way it works as far as that's concerned. If both sides can't come together, then you don't play. So for, uh, Clemson was ready to play. As Dabble said, they were ready, willing to play, wanted to play, gave some alternatives. We'll take another test if we have to, fast, yeah, and, rapid and, test. And that's that's the thing that raises the biggest red flag to me. I, I can understand to a, a certain degree if, if there was someone on, on an opposing roster in town who you found out that night, uh, Friday night, that they had tested positive or found out Saturday morning before the game that – that the positive test had come back. I can understand there being a, a bit of concern there. The thing that raised the red flag for me was when they offered to play the game on Sunday or Monday and Florida State turned it down. And, and we've got to get to the break. So we'll yeah. we'll hold that over and, and bring Dave Glenn in on that here uh, in just a moment when he joins us on the other side. This is uh, the uh, the hybrid of the Dan Scott Show and episode 16 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. And uh, Tom and I will be back with Dave Glenn in just a moment. We roll along on this Monday of Thanksgiving week. Dan Scott Show slash episode 16 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters rocking and rolling. Tom Van Hoy is with us as always. And, well, you know, last week we had a little technical difficulty with the iPad, but I think we've got everything where it's supposed to be this week. Because we do not want to deny Dave Glenn his entry music. He is the only guest that I have had in 20 years or so of doing this that I've given him the courtesy <laughs> of his own entry song. I expect him to come down the ramp like a, you know, one of those wrestlers in the WWE now charging the ring. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Dan. That song is definitely a part of our professional bond. Yes. That, w- that we have built over a couple of decades. You could call it wrestling intro music because I pl- played baseball for a long time. Maybe that would be my uh, approaching the batter's yeah, box your, music. Your walk up song, yeah. Exactly. So, either way, it's great to be with you and Tom again. Well, as, as long as you don't do like a lot of uh, players do in the big leagues now, and that stand with one foot in the box, one foot out of the box, waiting for their favorite part of the song to get there <laughs> before oh, they man. get in. So. Uh, we, we, you know, the, the internet is infinite, but I don't know that we have that much time. Um, because I, Hey, because I was a pitcher, I was the guy always looking at the batter saying, Hey, will you get in the box? Let's go. Right. So there's no, no fear of me being the drama guy heading into the box. (laughs) Well, let's jump right into this. Um, the, the biggest story in the Atlantic coast conference this week is, uh, a game that did not happen by the way, Dave Glenn from accsports.com and the athletic.com and, that site, subsite, uh, Athletic Carolinas. Um, Clemson gets to Florida State. They have a player who, after two negative tests during the week, tested positive. Uh, Florida State decided they did not want to play the game, even though, if what I read is correct, the ACC 
signed off on them playing the game, said they had met all the protocols, and Clemson had offered to play it on Sunday or Monday. Uh, Florida State said no and sent the Tigers home. What do you know about this situation, Dave? Well, it's complicated, Dan. I think Dabo Sweeney has a right to be disappointed that, as he says correctly, the Clemson Tigers met all ACC protocols and spent $300,000 plus and were ready to play a football game only to have their opponent pull the plug after they had arrived. We've had a lot of cancellations and postponements this season, right? And we've even had cases where one school was unhappy that the other school was unwilling to play. Everybody draws that line in a different place. There's a minimum, but then each school decides. This was the first example of the visitor arriving and then the plug being pulled on the game. So I I appreciate Dabo's point of view there. I think this boils down to a couple of things. One, whereas the ACC sets a minimum, different universities have been more careful than others. You can always rise above the minimum protocols. And Florida State has had examples this year where a player or coach who was testing negative but had symptoms was kept home rather than traveling. That's a different bar, right? The Clemson backup offensive lineman had been symptomatic early in the week, tested negative, but he went on the road trip. So those are two different standards, both of them above the line, but two different standards. Florida State's also had almost zero COVID cases for several months. Clemson had a pretty big flurry this summer. Trevor Lawrence, now this lineman. So Florida State's thinking, hey, our more careful way clearly has paid off. Your less careful way, still above the line, but less careful, has caused you to have dozens of cases dating back to the summer. So you have two schools with different levels of sensitivity. Florida State's been more careful. And when they were told that a backup offensive lineman was symptomatic early in the week, and of course, traveled, you're, you're, you're near each other on buses, et cetera. And if you're positive, you're contagious in most cases. And their, their reservation was, well, this guy's not going to play, but how many other people has he been near that maybe shouldn't play because they don't even know they have it. And now they might, they might be contagious and infect Florida state football players. Would most schools have played this game under this circumstances? Answer, yes. And that's why Dabo has a point. But uh, Florida State's best point is they've been more careful than Clemson. They have held a player out in similar circumstances, and Clemson chose to travel with that player. Again, I know he tested negative until – they didn't know the test until Saturday morning. Um. So there are fair points on both sides. I know the ACC office does not like this playing out in a public manner. They like to keep the dirty laundry behind the the closed door. Um, But hopefully the game gets rescheduled. Uh, They're going to argue, of course, over the $300,000 because that's what it costs to transport a football team to Tallahassee, Florida for a a game in this case. Um, and, And there's just, I don't know if there's, One clear-cut, no doubt about it, right or wrong here. Because if Florida State's biggest reservation was 
you, Clemson, can't possibly be sure how many of your players might have been infected by that guy who had the positive test. Well, that is not probably going to be resolved quickly. You're not going to be sure on Sunday if you pushed it back a day. Maybe you'd be sure by Monday if you pitch it back two days. So um, Florida State knew it was going to get its tail kicked. That's probably part of this equation as well. But um, it was a unique set of circumstances that we had not seen before this year, and it just ended the way nobody wanted it to end. And, and before Tom goes, just to, to, to kind of follow up on, uh, on the latter part of, of what you said there, the thing that raised the red flag to me, I understand, and, and I said this right before the break, I understand initial concern if you find out day of game that somebody who traveled tested positive. Um, you know, how did they travel? How many players was he around? I, you know, I don't know that that information has been made public. How many other possible people would have possibly been affected by this? I don't know that I've seen that yet. But I understand the initial concern. But the thing that raises the red flag to me is, is you know, schools with these type of budgets have access to the rapid testing. Clemson offered to play the game Sunday. They offered to play the game Monday. Had they played the game Monday, they could have tested Saturday. They could have tested Sunday and and had clearance after two days of testing to play on a Monday night, and Florida State refused to do that. That raises a red flag to me that says there's at least something to that last statement you made that maybe Florida State didn't want to play this game because they knew they they were going to get beat and beaten badly. That's a fair point, uh, and who knows if we're going to get a follow-up from Florida State on that scenario, right? I mean, part of the problem is that most of these tests do take 24 hours to come back, right? That's why the, that's why the Clemson backup offensive lineman was traveling on Friday uh, because the Friday test didn't have its answer until Saturday morning, which is when this whole situation blew up. So the Saturday test results, the the tests taken on Saturday won't be known their results until Sunday. The Sunday tests, maybe, maybe even the quick turnaround, it does take a little while. But yeah, a Monday scenario, it's hard to imagine what Florida State's answer is to that. Um, So I agree with your point there because that points to the Seminoles just didn't want to get embarrassed by a rival that seven years ago they had the upper hand over. It's not like we're going back 20 years, right? Florida State won a national championship in football seven years ago as Dabo was, you know, on the upswing with his now dynasty. They have fallen hard. They have fallen far. They have been embarrassed. And we all know they were likely to be embarrassed again. And I think that's uh, the behind the curtain factor uh, on why they didn't want to play Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. Tom? Dave, do you know if uh, any other games this year where teams have traveled or teams have gotten a positive result on, let's say, Friday or even on Saturday morning and then have gone ahead and played the games? I believe yes. Uh, obviously, the um, the positive player would not play. And then you have to get into that contact tracing yeah. stuff. What other guys have to sit out because they were close to that player for enough time period, according to the CDC guidelines, which were mostly adopted by the ACC. I don't have the example for you. Um, 
you know, because as I'm sure you guys have discussed or will discuss, you know, the Boston College was willing to play Clemson after mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence practiced while positive, as it turned out, is a little bit different, right? Because Boston College is coming to town. They know the positive player and those traced are not participating in the game. Uh, there was not the unknown, the fear of the unknown for Boston College, right? Uh, n- not in the same way, I would argue. Uh, whereas, you know, for those who don't know, to credit to the credit of Clemson and others, these schools are even traveling in more buses. So let, let's say not twice as many buses, but on the possibility that someone on that Friday test that you don't learn about until before the game on Saturday is positive, on that possibility, these schools have been traveling essentially on socially distanced buses mm-hmm. so that when backup offensive lineman turns, turns out to be positive, he was not jammed into a bus, you know, for however many minutes or hours. So that of course the person to his left and right and in front of him and probably behind him were close to him for an extended period uninterrupted. And these guys, for those who don't know, are wearing masks in the buses and on the airplanes. So the, I think that's a big part of Dabo's frustration is, you know, he got criticism back in the spring for kind of being optimistic. And, and you know, either in his words, I, he, he thought Death Valley was going to be full. You know, he, he was wrong about how COVID unfolded. He, he kept talking about the most optimistic scenarios and some accused him of being kind of a science denier as a result. In the long run, Clemson adopted these protocols recommended by the medical professionals and all the way down to how you travel in an airplane, you know, no more meals on uh, planes or buses or at the hotels. Everything is different. And I think Dabo's frustration is that, that the Tigers have not only gotten this protocol but exceeded it, and yet he, he doesn't know of another example like this one where the game was not played. I, I am not 100% certain if there's a perfect match for the Clemson at Florida State scenario, but there's absolutely cases where you didn't know about the Friday positive until Saturday and then that guy did not play. I just don't know if that was a home game, a road game, or how much controversy was involved. Dave Glenn joining us, as he does every week, to take us through the Atlantic Coast Conference and oftentimes outside the uh, footprint of that conference. Uh, And this kind of has a broader view to it, even though we're concentrating it on uh, Clemson and Florida State. So, So, Dave, knowing what you know about the ACC, and I don't know if you've talked to any of your contacts inside the office, uh, do you have an idea what might play out as far as trying to reschedule this game? Would the conference make Florida State come to Clemson on a December 12th to play this game if it is going to be rescheduled? I mean, Dabo Sweeney was very, very adamant in his uh, Sunday teleconference with the Clemson reporters last night, as we're, we're recording this on Monday morning, that in his mind, the administration at Florida State forfeited the game. Uh, and if they do want to reschedule it, they should have to come to Clemson or reimburse Clemson for all of its expenses at $300,000 you're talking about. Do you have any any inkling as to how this might play out? Well, Clemson is not going to win the forfeiture argument 
the, the conference office is not going to come down and say, under these circumstances, the Seminoles, uh, in retrospect, forfeit that ga- forfeited that game to the Clemson Tigers. That's just flat out not going to happen. Uh, I also think it's a difficult situation because for those who don't know, Florida State, like many athletic departments, is in a money predicament where coaches and other highly paid people are taking pay cuts, where various sports are taking budget cuts. And whereas if I were sort of king for a day, uh, I would find it hard to turn a road game into a home home game. Um, That I understand, again, Dabo's frustrations, but I would, as that hypothetical king for a day, ask two schools who are members of the same league to come together in a non-litigious kind of way and say, you know what, this is a horrible set of circumstances. Nobody's absolutely right or absolutely wrong. Is there any way where Florida State could essentially share half of Clemson's traveling expenses from the first trip and half of a possible December 12th trip? In other words, Clemson, in the end, would end up spending, quote-unquote, only $300,000. And Florida State would sort of have to reimburse Clemson $300,000 over the course of two trips. That's 50% of the total cost for two trips. Florida State's not going to love that idea. Clemson's not going to love that idea. Clemson Clemson wants either the home game or all $300,000 back, right? but I think, you know, I actually have legal training as a mediator. The closest I could come to sort of down the middle would be that kind of an approach. But forfeiture is off the table. Um, and, and I don't – flipping a home game for a, for a road game I think is unlikely as well. So get together again in Tallahassee on December 12th. You know, may the best team win by whatever margin – And then, you know, you don't complicate the Tigers' likely trip to the ACC title game. You don't complicate their resume with some sort of a missed game entirely. Uh, Mike Norvell of Florida State says he hopes they play in December. You know, you take him for his word on that, even though he knows he's probably going to take a beating. Um, I hope that's how it's resolved. Uh, But Dabo's going to have to swallow a little pride, you know, for that scenario to unfold that way. Knowing what we know about the Atlantic Coast Conference office, Dave, I, I don't see them mandating anything one way or the other, do you? No, no. I mean, I think the mandate is going to be stop talking about this publicly in a way that makes it look like conference fellow conference members are questioning each other's integrity. Now, you, that happens all the time behind the scenes. But if you're the commissioner of the ACC, John Swafford, you don't want those comments becoming public. So Dabo's going to be told not to talk about it, both athletic directors, Mike Norvell. Um, but, yeah, John Swafford is, is uh, he, he's often pretty good at sort of being that ninja behind the scenes and kind of getting a fair result without it becoming too public, the details of it all. And knock on wood, you know, I, I just hope that these two teams play on December 12th and, you know, let the Tigers beat the Seminoles the way we all know they're going to and then, you know, move forward to what should be a pretty exciting ACC title game. Tom? So, Dave, let's, let's say <clears throat> that they don't play that game and Miami continues to play, and they both have the same record. I know Clemson's beating Miami. Is there any scenario there where, in, from a tiebreaker standpoint, that Clemson 
maybe couldn't get into the championship game? That's a great question, Tom. And I am so glad. This is actually, this was a big part of my legal career as I practiced over two decades. You'd have a project and you'd have to be sort of the geeky guy at the end of the table <laughs> and envisioning unlikely scenarios, but possible scenarios. And thank goodness, somebody in the ACC envisioned okay. a scenario oh. where not everybody played the same amount of games, obviously, because of cancellations. And they wrote in a rule for this year that in your hypothetical, which is not all that crazy at this point, you know, let's say Clemson has, of course, one loss in conference play. Let's say Miami keeps winning and keeps its Self to only one loss in conference play. But in your scenario, the Canes would have more wins. So it wouldn't be a pure tie. I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but what would it be like a nine and one Miami yeah. versus an eight and one Clemson in your scenario? And yeah. people will ask, well, that's not an exact tie. Wouldn't nine and one Miami get the nod over eight and one Clemson? The answer is no. They contemplated this possibility. They wrote in a rule and because Clemson beat Miami head-to-head, -head, and because in our hypothetical, they're, they're both the same in the loss column, right? I mean, yep. it, it changes, obviously, if Miami or Clemson loses again. So, no, there's Clemson would not be left out of an ACC title game in this hypothetical scenario. Uh, and I'm really glad they thought of that rule on the front end. Can you imagine the gnashing of teeth? on the back end, if that little rule had not been written in, there would have been all kinds of accusations by either Miami fans or Clemson fans, you know, whoever got the short end of the stick, but it's not going to come to that. Dave, one other question that has nothing to do with, with conference standings and, and those type of things, but it, it, an individual award, you know, Trevor Lawrence missed two games because of COVID and, and, and now, Will they or will they not play this Florida State game? How do you think all this is going to affect his Heisman Trophy chances? Man, it's fascinating. I think it's going to hurt. I think we're in such uncharted territory, Dan, that I don't know. What if Oregon or somebody in the Pac-12 goes 6-0? and How does that compare to somebody who played a really tough schedule and went, say, 11-1? and Right? So on the team level... We're comparing apples to oranges. And because of missed games on the individual player level, we just don't have our usual data. I mean, in a typical year, it'd be here's what Trevor Lawrence did in his 12 or 13 games, and here's what this other candidate did in his 12 or 13 games. It's not like we've never had any unusual circumstances. Players get injured and miss a game or two. But it doesn't help your Heisman candidacy. If somebody else has insanely good numbers over 12 games or more, and you have insanely good numbers over nine games, I think it's going to hurt. Um, you know, even something as simple as ACC player of the year. Is there somebody who was just as great over a full season compared to someone who was phenomenal while missing whatever game, number of games, three games possibly? Um all these things are, are relatively new or brand new, and that makes it harder to predict how they're going to come out. Tom, final question for Dave? Yeah, well, just uh, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, you've done it uh, 
30 plus or 25 plus years. And it's, it's just been one of those remarkable years where thing, things do happen. And I guess the only thing we can, we can hope for is we can get back to some kind of normalcy at some point. Yeah, I'm rooting for normalcy, no doubt about it. And, you know, and in the end, guys, you know, Notre Dame plays UNC this Friday. That should be a fun football game. Uh, Notre Dame and Clemson played a fun football game in South Bend. I personally, I think most of the nation would look forward to their possible rematch in the ACC title game. So through all these bumps and bruises and controversies, I think in the end, it's just good for the ACC that in football, I mean, in basketball, they almost always matter. But in football, they've mattered a lot more over this last decade or so than they used to matter in a sport where they were an afterthought for big chunks of the 20th century. Clemson's nationally relevant in the college football playoff conversation. Notre Dame, of course, for this year only, a full-time football member is nationally relevant. And then you have these intriguing stories at places like Miami and UNC where, who knows, maybe the Tar Heels beat the Irish this Friday. It's possible. Maybe Miami keeps winning and finishes, you know, uh, 9-1 and one or 10-1 and one under Manny Diaz. It, it, these are fun stories, and when you have – at least two nationally prominent stories, and then at least two pretty significant success stories beyond, beyond that, uh, it's, it's just a, a reminder to me, given those three decades covering this league, man, it's a lot more fun, even through the controversies and the postponements and cancellations. It's just a lot more fun for, for ACC football to matter in a way that, man, for long stretches, it just didn't matter much at all. Well, the other thing that happens as we get set to wrap it up, uh, those who are still involved in the daily talk show game, they just had their Thanksgiving week made. Uh, they, they will not have to put in a whole lot of effort to prepare for shows this week because in Clemson and Tallahassee anyway because this is going to be the topic of conversation pretty much the entire time. Dave, tell folks how they can follow what you're doing on a regular basis. Yeah, and remember, college basketball starts this week as well. So even more fodder for all of us in this crazy industry. On Twitter, we're at David Glenn Show. uh, And online, as Dan mentioned kindly to start the program or my segment here, uh, it's at accsports.com and theathletic.com, The Athletic Carolina. Uh, That website just hit 1 million-plus worldwide subscribers. And it's great sports journalism, so we hope folks will check it out. Are you taking credit for that, by the way, since, yeah. they, since, they, since they added you to the rotation? It seems like things have skyrocketed. Not even a little bit. I have been with them at least for the entirety of their The Athletic Carolina sub-site. Mm. Uh, but it is pretty impressive. I mean, you know, other than the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, yeah. there are not a lot of media outlets that get to a million or more subscribers. I mean, like in the history of the world or the history of the Internet, I guess you'd say. So, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of that, but I am, uh, you know, one tiny little nook or cranny in the bigger picture there. <laughs> Sounds good. Dave, thank you so much, as always. Good to be with you guys. All right, we'll be back to wrap it up in just a bit. Thanks to Tom Van Hoy as well. Uh, stay tuned. Back for the final quick segment in just a moment. All right, back to put a wrap on this as we take care of another episode of the Grumpy Old Broadcasters, episode 16, slash the Dan Scott Show on 
WZLA in Abbeville. Lee Collins is coming up next for those of you listening on the radio. You'll get a lot more, I'm sure, of the uh, the college football talk. Maybe some things that actually happened on the field in the world of college football, as well as uh, some Abbeville High School football and other things. And uh, for us, well, we are just going to take our leave and and pray that you have a, a safe and happy Thanksgiving, however you decide to celebrate, big family or immediate family. Just um, look, I know 2020 has not been the kind of year that we had all hoped for. Uh, there have been uh, so many things that we have taken for granted, quite honestly, I think if we're being honest with each other, uh, taken away from us, or, or at least uh, we've been deprived of it uh, for an extended period of time. I think maybe in and of itself that is a great reason for us to be even more thankful than usual this week as we approach Thanksgiving Day on Thursday because something like this reminds us of how good we actually have it. So just uh, just take an extra moment to thank the good Lord above that he has uh, watched over you and protected you uh, and, and for the, the normal life that you have. And in the grand scheme of things, uh, if you look at it from that perspective, you'll look at 2020 as a learning experience and uh, be a better person coming out of the other side of it. Well, that's the way that I'm approaching it, and that's the way I hope that you will approach it as well. Have a great Thanksgiving week. Celebrate with your families. And uh, as always, we'll remind you that the show, uh, the podcast portion of the show, is brought to you by our friends at Tadaro Pizza. Again, thank you, John, for everything that you do. T-O-D-A-R-O-Pizza.com is the website. Go check out their operating hours and the full menu there. And shoot me a, a email. Dan. Uh, no. Email address is uh, thedanscottshow at gmail.com. I almost gave you my work address. Or you can just leave a comment wherever you're getting the podcast because we are everywhere. Have a great Thanksgiving week, and we'll see you again next time. For Tom and Dave, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you. So long, everybody. Lee Collins up next here on WZLA in Abbeville.